And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible, so it'll be very easy to find. We'll be in chapter 90 today. And uh, let me just also extend a word of thanks to Joe and Joe and Alejandro. Super grateful for them coming to lead us in worship through song today. Uh, we, uh, ha- we, most of you know, we're in a kind of a transition season with our uh, worship uh, leadership and have some, some of our own uh, kind of filling in in the interim time. But we had a gap in our schedule today. And uh, these are New England brothers uh, right around here. Uh, who, uh, who had some time to come and uh, lead us in song. So very grateful for them and uh, grateful for you. If you're new to Redemption Hill, we're very thankful that you're here today. Um, just so you know, uh, not only do we have a college lunch for our college students uh, who are able to make it today, but then next week we have what's called Next. And it's a way for anyone that's kind of new to Redemption Hill to uh, just hang out with some other people, learn a bit about the, the vision and mission of our church. So if you're new to Redemption Hill, we would love for you to go ahead and make plans to attend next week and stick around after the service for a free lunch uh, as we uh, just hang out together there. But uh, today I'm very excited to start our Spending Time series. Now, we're, we're going we're gonna to make this a little interactive this morning, okay? So to, to start with, what I want you to do is this. I want you to take out a sheet of paper, or you can use your handy-dandy phone if you need to, and what I want you to do is an- answer this question, okay? How many times a day do you look at the clock, all right? Just, just think about that for a moment, okay? And I want you to do your best, all right? This is like, you know, you're not going to, you're pass or flunk, you know, this, this question. Uh, but it's an important question to ask and answer. How many times a day do you look at the, the clock, all right? So, um, you know, just think about it. We have, uh, you know, our phones or our iPads. We have clocks in the car, on the microwave. Um, we have clocks on almost any electronic device, right? Our laptops. Um, Even just, you know, remember these kind of things that that people used to use all the time. Even wall clocks, you know, like we don't really need those anymore, but sometimes we still have them. And so just as you begin to add all of those opportunities up, where are you? Maybe 14, 15 times? Some of you are saying like 40 or 50 times. Well, let, me just, let me just help you out a bit, okay? So that's just the, the physical location of the, the clocks that we look at. But what about what precipitates why we look at clocks? I mean, so it's usually what? Our desires and our responsibilities. So for example, when we have a desire for food and we want to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or a snack a couple times in between, oftentimes we'll look at the clock, right? Is it time to eat yet, or um, maybe we're heading to work and we have to catch the bus or the train. And so how many times even in that 10-minute window do you look at the clock? Are we like, are we north of 40 or 50 yet for most of us? I'm seeing, all right, just so just write that down and think about it this morning. Um, now, I, I know that some of you are thinking, uh, Tanner's asking us this question because this is like a little setup to himself because he's going to tell us that some sociologist has, you know, pinpointed the number of times that Americans in urban environments look at the clock every day, but I'm not going to do that, all right? I mean, that would be a great way to keep you listening to this sermon, um, but I'm not going to do that because I don't need to do that. And we live in Boston, Massachusetts, right? We live in a culture that is not only time-bound, but I would say 
even dominated to a large degree by the reality of time. We constantly wrestle with the clock. How can we manage our time well? How can we maximize our time well? The time we spend often feels wasted or less than fulfilling. Our, conscious, our culture is, what well, we could say, a hyper-conscious culture when it comes to the reality of time. So that's, that's why I want to say this. I think the greatest currency in our culture today is the currency of time. Sociologist Robert Levine wrote a book called The Geography of Time. He's a professor at Fresno State University, and, and he had a really sweet subtitle for this book. I'm just going to read it for you because uh, it's too hard to remember. The Temporal Misadventures of a Social Psychologist, or, let's keep going, or How Every Culture Keeps Time Just a Little Bit Differently. And so what Robert Levine does is he says, look, there are factors that move a culture toward a greater tempo or a greater pace. So I just want you to think about Boston as we look at these cultural factors of what speed up a culture as it relates to time, okay? The first factor is economics, all right? The more active an economy, the faster the tempo of time. In other words, we could say the wealthier a society, the more time-conscious and perhaps even time-starved, as one puts it, they are. Related to this is the reality of industrialization. I mean, if we just were to rewind the clock about 130 years, we would see that, that cultures did not move at nearly the same pace, right? And so, uh, as, as Robert Levine says in his book, he says this, it is one of the great ironies of modern times that with all of our time-saving creations, people have less time to themselves than ever before. Almost every technical advance seems to be accompanied by a rise in expectation. You, do you feel that? Like, like here, here in Boston? Like economics industrialization, and then you have population. So this is really simple, okay? The, the higher the population, the uh, greater the concern for a pace and time. On top of that, and we really love this one, okay, is climate. So another factor here is that generally speaking, warmer climates, yes, I have some friends from Jamaica, right? Warmer climates usually kind of have a more relaxed pace to the reality of time. Now, I know it's only September, but like January and November, let's take heart, let's be encouraged. Like they're, they're coming. And so we live in, you know, a, a climate where we certainly experience some really frigid temperatures, and that even fits the description as well. And then you have cultural values, all right? Individualistic cultures, which American culture is certainly individualistic, um, move faster than those emphasizing collectivism. So we, we value achievement over affiliation. And this usually, listen, this usually leads us to a time is money mindset. So, so how many times 
Have you weighed out your schedule and even in comparison to your pocketbook, maybe in terms of an opportunity, and you've said, time is money? You filthy Americans. <laughs> like, have, have, we made, have we made the point yet? Perhaps the greatest currency in our culture is the currency of time. So that's why I'm really excited to look at today. How can we value time? How can we manage it and maximize it? And even consider how we can incorporate, and this one might hurt a little bit, how can we incorporate time to rest in our endeavor to manage and maximize our time? That's where we're going in this series. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It might be a little painful at times. I hope more fun than painful, okay? But, but more than that, I hope that God drops some serious clues into our hearts in terms of how we can understand who he is, understand who we are, and how we can maximize this gift through his wisdom of the gift of time. So what we're going to do to get us started is we're going to go to an ancient prayer that's as relevant today as it ever has been because we believe this book is timeless, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 90 to a prayer of a man named Moses. It's the only psalm, by the way, of 150 psalms that is written by the man named Moses years before these psalms were collected into the the book of Psalms. And so listen carefully as I read these verses for us. It says this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. These words invite us to value the invaluable currency of time. That's the invitation for us today, to value the invaluable currency of time. And I see at least three ways that we can, we can do that as we work through this psalm together. So let me give them to you one by one, all right? Number one, we should value time. This is foundational, by the way, okay, is where the psalm starts. We should value time by understanding God and understanding his world. All right, now don't, don't miss that this entire song, by the way, which we just sang some songs, okay? Songs are, are really prayers to God when they are a piece of worship, right? And so these songs that we sing often on Sunday mornings are very directed straight to God as we sing them. And this song is no different. It addresses God and it helps us understand where really our prayers should begin. The rhythm of our prayers should always start with who God is and remembering who he is and even proclaiming that back to him because that is the foundation for life. As A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. Think about that. The most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. So who is God here? Verse one says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And maybe if you hear nothing else this morning, you could just hear that like the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is about an invitation from God for us to return home. That's what the good news, the word gospel means good news. And that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about God inviting us home. And what I love about this, and I'm just going to be honest, I'm getting chills just saying this to you right now, because what we need to realize is that Moses, who wrote this, this song, all right, he was a man who was leading a people who were in exile in Egypt. All right, so, so in other words, they were displaced. They didn't have a home. Not only did they not have a home, but they were oppressed in slavery there in Egypt until God rescued them out. But then when he rescued them out, they went on this exodus journey and they wandered there in the wilderness for, check this out, 40 years and they still did not have a home. So when Moses is penning this song, he is a man without a home who is saying, God, you are our home. Wow. Verse 2 says that God is eternal and transcendent. So it says this, um, before, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, so before we could ever see anything that is seen, God was there. God has no beginning, no end, no birthday, no death day. Like God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. We call this the eternality of God. It points to his infinite nature, all right? God is unlike us. He is transcendent. That means he's over all things. He's independent of all things. He created everything. Creation is dependent on God. It's not the other way around, even though we often think like that. Like, God, you answer to us, right? It's like, no, 
God is God. He is transcendent. He invites us into his story. And so these are certainly, I think, if, if you have the same experience that I do as I read these, like these are mind-bending realities. God is our dwelling place. He is eternal. He is transcendent. He is above and outside of time. But what, what about us? And that's what we see as Moses begins to reflect on our situation in light of his current circumstances. I mean, when they were wandering in the wilderness, it was not a beautiful journey. Death was surrounding them. I mean, the brevity of life was intensely acute for these people. And so it's not surprising then that the poetic imagery that we find here is super intense, all right? And and that's why I I hope that like, you know, we're so academic. We live in Boston after all, but America in general, like we just kind of read these words and we're here to get some knowledge today, all right? And that's good, but, but we should not only think about these words, like I think we should feel these words. I hope these words sink deep into our souls today. In light of the eternality of God, Moses says, here we go, verse 3, we are dust. We're dust. We are created. We are frail. We are weak. And then in verse he moves forward and he says, our days are transient. I love verse four. It's actually quoted in the New Testament and maybe you've heard it before where he says like, our years are like, a thousand of our years are like a day to you, God. And we, we don't, don't read a, a poem like super literally, all right? Like it's a, it's a poetic way of saying there, there's no comparison here. God, like 1,000 1, years to God is like, sorry, 1,000 years for us is like one day to God. And I think that should sober us a bit, right? But, but even if you're like, well, you know, like that guy, like, okay, because like, it's pretty great, it's pretty big. But if you're not, like, if we're not there yet, then he just takes it a step further. And he says, not only is, is, is 1,000 years like a day to God, but 1,000 years to, to you is like a watch in the night to God. And that's like 12% of one day. It's like three hours. It was a watch in the night. And, and Moses is saying like, that's the, that's the separation. That's the disproportion between you and God. There really is no proportion. This is what 16th century Pastor Matthew Henry said, I love this. This is in the original language for you, all right? He says this, uh, betwixt, (laughs) betwixt a minute and a million of years, there is some proportion, but betwixt time and eternity, there is none. Think about that. God is eternal. We are created. We are time-bound. And so there's really no comparison between us and God. There's, there's no proportion that we can even begin to wrap our minds around the distance between infinity and our finitude. So I know you're thinking, well, like Tanner, um, is that supposed to make us feel small? And I would say absolutely not. It's to help us understand how great God is. 
God is great. And this, this is why I can, we could just rewind Psalm 8. The Psalm starts by saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? So, so this should actually draw us in and be even more grateful that God invites us home into his story. And that God would not only be transcendent, but he would condescend in the person of Christ and wrap flesh upon himself. The eternal son of God would become man and enter time and space so that we might not simply die, but live forever with God. This is amazing grace. Our days are transient. They are like a dream here and then gone, if we can even remember them. Verse 5. Our days are like grass. This is like Massachusetts grass. It stays at least green for a few months out of the year. Okay, this is like Arabian grass where it's green in the morning and by the end of the day, it's not green anymore. It just withers up. Verse 9 says that our years end like a like a sigh. And, and that's, that's not necessarily the most beautiful picture of our life. But, but again, like I know some of you are like saying, like, man, I came to Redemption This is my first time to Redemption Hill. Man, this guy Tanner, he's such a pessimist, man. Like, I don't know if I'm going to come back. Um, no, like, I hope you see, like, it's not pessimism, it's realism. If, if we don't get real about time, we won't understand the value of time. And if we don't understand the value of time, we won't live each day to make each day count. And so this is what this psalm is driving us to. The years of our life are soon gone. We fly away. Verse 10. So, so, so I'm sure you're asking this question, but let me just kind of put it on the table. Um, do you recognize your life? Your life is but a dream, is but a sigh, is it's here for just a few passing years and then gone. And you say, well, why is that? Like, that kind of hurts us, right? I mean, I, I know some friends who've had close friends or family members who've passed away recently, and I'm telling you, it is, a, it is a gut-wrenching time. Anguish, sadness, sorrow, when we lose someone we love. Why is that? It's what verses 7 through 11 help us with, okay? This is like the theological rationale for the brevity of time and how it compares to the eternality of God. And, and, and what we were really, check this out, we were made here for that. So let me put it in plain terms. The reason that death stings, the reason that death hurts so much is because we were made to live and we were made to live forever. Wrap, wrap, wrap your mind around that this morning, okay? God made us to live with him forever. That's why we long for longer days. 70 years, like that's it? That's all we've got? Surely there's something more. Well, there is. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. It means we long for something more. We actually, it's a clue that God is. Like we, we want there to be something more than this life. I don't care if you're living in the year 16 or 2016 or 4,000. Like it, it's the same reality for humanity. We want more. And we're so disgusted by the reality of death because that's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's the way it has to be because we have turned away from God. Death entered the world because of what the Bible calls sin. It's, it's, it's deviating from God's plan. It's turning our back on what God wanted for us. He invited us to life forever. And we said, you know what, God? You're really wise, but I've got a better plan. I'm going to kind of go my own way. And when we did that, death entered the world. And so you, you see this, this talk of, of God's anger and his wrath and why death is entering our world. And the words of Michael Reeves helps me here when he says this, God's judgment does not mean the destruction of the creation once declared good, okay? But it means the destruction of all evil for the renewal of the creation. So, so in other words, God is perfect, he's holy, he's just, and we all long for justice because we want wrongs to be made right, and so God's going to see to that, and that's why he must exercise his judgment. But the good news for us is that we don't have to experience judgment if we look to Jesus and receive the life that he offers us to come home to God, to find our time to be time without end because of what he has done for us on the cross. And so I hope you, I hope you feel this today. Like we, we need to understand who God is. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand that, that death is coming for all of us. Like doesn't mortality bring clarity to light? And that's for all of us until we come home to God. So verse 11, just ask a great question. Who considers the power of your anger and the, your wrath according to the fear of you? It's almost like this kind of amazing question. Like, why wouldn't we think about these things? Why wouldn't we spend a little more time like thinking about time and eternity and about is there something more and how can I get to that more? And, and that's what Jesus is all about. And so that question then kind of pushes us to consider, hey, how are we going to use our days? Like if, if valuing time begins with understanding God and his world, then number two, we can say valuing time uh, happens when we count each day as a gift. This is verse 12. And this is like, if you ask like Tanner, give me one verse in the Bible that would like help me deal with time in a better way, this, this greatest currency in our culture, I would say Psalm 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us implies that we have something to learn about the valuing of time, right? I mean, like, why say, like, teach us, God, if, if we have nothing to learn? So I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to side with the Bible and say that you and I don't always value time like we should. We don't always count each day as a gift from God. God has to give us the ability to see 
everything in our lives in a new light. And so we pray, we ask him, teach us to number our days. And you say, well, like, what, is, what does that mean, Tanner? Like, how do you number days? Is that just simply like counting them? And I think it's kind of wrapped up in it. But, um, you know, some might take a guess and say, like, life is short, play hard. You ever, you ever remember these t-shirts? Anybody have a t-shirt like this? Um, they're really, if you're into athletics, then they made, a, they made a shirt for your sport. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I think my parents wouldn't let me have one because they knew, like, there's more to life than playing games, even though we love games in my house. My dad's a basketball coach. Um, so, so does anyone ever have, don't, you don't want to raise your hand to you this morning, I know. Um, life is short, play hard. And then, you know, Christians, we always like, we're really good at mimicking culture instead of like setting the pace in culture. And so Christians then came up with, uh, life is short, pray hard, all right? Um, so who had this shirt? That's what I want to know, huh? Wear it next Sunday, and I'll give you a free uh, book, all right? Um, so, sorry, it wasn't in my notes. Um, is, is that what this is, is about? Like, just, man, give it all we got. To number our days means to assign a value to it. And as one person said, like, this is the most, most difficult mathematics that we will ever come across in our life, all right? Like, not algebra, which is kind of increasingly tough because I don't study that anymore. Um, not, you know, calculus. It is numbering our days. Consider this. We have only one shot at September 11th, 2016. To put some perspective on time, 15 years since 9-11. We only have one shot tomorrow at September 12th. Only one shot at your college career. I mean, I'm thinking about this. Like, one shot at 35, and the time is ticking quick for me on 35. In a few months, I'll be 36. And I'm just saying, like, Kids are going up fast. Parker's seven. She's like taking up more than, you know, way more than half of her bunk bed. And like, I don't even know what to do with that, man. You know what I'm saying? I just like, I struggle. I'm a really sensitive dad. Um, so just pray for me. Um, but, but time is short, right? Only one shot. Jonathan Edwards wrote an excellent little reflection in December of 1734 called The Preciousness of Time. And this is what he said in that writing. He said this, Time is so short, and the work we have is so great that we have none of it to spare. Time is a thousand times more precious than money, and when it is gone, cannot be redeemed or purchased for money, and it cannot be redeemed by silver or gold. Teach us to number our days. If, if your life weighed the value of time, how far would the scales tip? Like, like if you really valued time and invested every day in such a way that showed you valued time, like, like how, how far would that, that scale tip? Is each day precious to you? Is each moment a gift? I I think, and I understand that some of you are like, even as the sermon goes on and time's ticking, and um, 
you're like, man, I've got so much to do this week. I have so many tasks to, to try to accomplish. I've got so much reading already. It's the first week of school, I know, but like it's already piling up and the stress is mounting. And so we want to manage our time well as we number our days. We want to maximize our time well as we number our days. And that's where we're going the next two weeks. But I think we could start this week by just like praying this simple prayer, God, teach me to number my days. You say, like, well, how do you do that, Tanner? Well, like, do, do you start your day with God? I mean, that's a great suggestion, by the way. Um, so, like, just to pray that I'm like, God, help me to understand the value of today. And then as you're, as you're maybe commuting to, to work or to school or to just pray, like, God, help me, help me make the most of this. As you're coming home to, to be with friends or family, God, like, make, make these moments count. As you're wrapping up your day, to just, just continue to, God, teach me to, to understand the value of today and that I might live for you each moment. If you feel like you are maybe not numbering your days very effectively, listen, there's, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. And it comes when we cry out to God and say, God, renew us and renew our perspective and help me to to now seek you in such a way that is going to inform my numbering of my days so that I can really live each day and make it count for you and for the good of others. And so that's the third encouragement. It's so simple. Value time by asking for God's renewal. Value time by asking for God's renewal. We see this in verses 13 through 17, some great prayers here as we consider the eternality of God and the shortness, the brevity of our lives and and how we are called to value each day and make them count. Then we get into these these requests, right? And these are, by the way, let's just pause and say that these are bold and assertive requests. Okay, so like we can talk to God like this, right? It's like, it's okay. It's actually encouraged that in light of who he is, like he wants to answer us. He wants to move in our lives. So he wants us to pray bold prayers like return, have mercy on us. Change not just my situation, but change me, change us. I love verse 14. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Like what a great prayer to pray every single day. Satisfy means to fill. We we sang about being overcome by the presence of God. And this is is what this prayer is about. It's about being so overcome by God, so overwhelmed by God, that our greatest desire is not like, God, more money, a better house, a better job. Um, It's like just more of you because you are the greatest reality in my life. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And And the result of that is not just the path to numbering our days rightly, but it is the path to, check this out, gladness and rejoicing that we may be glad and rejoice all. Like, who doesn't want that? I'm, I'm in. 
Christianity is not a set of rules for us just to follow and show up on Sunday and maybe go to group and and like, okay, I checked off the rules this week. No, it is an invitation to life and life that is satisfying and full and forever. So if if you don't know that yet, then the invitation is for you to receive that. Make us glad. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us in, in, our, in our exile, in our exodus, um, as many years as we have seen evil, like give us renewal. And that's the vision of, of what's happening in, in history as the Bible unfolds it, is that God created a perfect world. He designed a perfect world. We messed that world up, but he sends Jesus to redeem and recreate the, the world that we have tainted so that we can now enjoy him in a new creation forever. And so the days of rejoicing and celebration in the presence of God are so much greater qualitatively and quantitatively than the days of our suffering that it will make the days of our suffering seems like they were days of smiling, we could say. Make us glad. Show us your power. We want to see you at work. Let your favor be upon us. And what another great prayer. Like, just keep reading this song this week. Let the, let the favor of our Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Like, in anything that we're doing, it doesn't matter if it's our vocational work or, you know, just hanging out and serving friends and family or volunteering or serving at church or even what I'm doing right now. It's like, establish this work, God. Like, you make it count. Value time by asking for God's renewal. By counting each day as a gift. And, and this, the genesis of it all is, is understanding God and his world. Who he, he is who we are in this world that we have made. So that we might live with him in wisdom. Each day, today, and forever. So, so I, want to, I want you to think about this as we close. Jesus stepped into time. God the Son stepped into time in the, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus would say often, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And what he was speaking of was, was the end of his life, his death on the cross on behalf of the world. He lived a purposeful life. He lived an intentional life. He lived a life that was valuing time every single day. until the very end, when he knew it was his time to die, he would say, my hour has come. And so it's through Jesus giving us his life on the cross that now we can step into life, the life that God wants us to enjoy day by day and step into eternal life and live with him for days without end. And so I hope that you will, through Jesus, begin to understand what a life of wisdom and the valuing of time can look like for you each day. Let's pray that God would help us to value the invaluable currency of time. Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for what you've done in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would help us to know you and in the knowing of you to number our days rightly, that we might spend them well, 
for your sake and for the sake of those around us. And as we do that, God, lead us into joy. Lead us into life. Lead us into satisfaction. We pray in the name of Jesus.